It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Hi, welcome to the Dick Morris Show, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. And the Doug DePiro show <laughs> with Dick Morris and his sidekick, Doug DePiro. That's funny. Yeah. I'm a psychic. Psychic. A sidekick. Psycho. Psychic. So in twenty in twenty sixteen, uh Joe Biden was leaving office as vice president and uh he had no source of income. He had no practice to go back to, he had no job to fall back on. And China came to the rescue. Uh, China got in touch with the, or Biden got in touch with China. And they roped in the University of Pennsylvania and set up the Penn-Biden Center for Global Engagement and Peace. And uh, it was to be a center and is to be, is now a center at the University of Pennsylvania. And Joe Biden was given an honorary Benjamin Franklin professorship. Um, and uh, he doesn't teach any classes. He doesn't have any duties. He occasionally appears as a speaker, for, appeared as a speaker for them. And imagine that. Yeah. Well, that was back when he could talk. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. And the and he uh, made a total of nine hundred thousand dollars from this honorarium over the course of the three years uh, before he started to run for president after he left the vice presidency. And uh, the money came almost entirely from China. So Biden was on the payroll of China in between his vice presidency and his presidency. Now, most of the Chinese money, all of the Chinese money, was given anonymously by donors from China. They, the university won't reveal who they were, but they uh, said that they were donors from China. And, of course, anybody in China who gives money to the Penn-Biden Center has been giving it from the government. It was a deal set up by the by the Chinese government as a bribe to Joe Biden, basically his sole source of income until he developed other sources. And uh, it was always the base thing that he could rely upon. And the executive director of the center was our current Secretary of State, Tony Blinken. So the President of the United States and the Secretary of State of the United States were both on the payroll of the Chinese government uh, in the three years between the vice presidency and the presidency. So that that's just an amazing fact that has received very little publicity and, uh, and needs to be explored. Now, the University of Pennsylvania will not provide a list of its donors from China, it won't provide the names. And Biden appointed the president of the University of Pennsylvania to be ambassador to Germany. And I sent it into a bunch of senators, but nobody picked it up. I was hoping that in the confirmation hearings they would ask her for this information. But uh, she refused, and uh, and she got confirmed, and we don't know. So with all the talk about bribes that Biden received, start with uh, a million dollars 
of payments to him from China through the University of Pennsylvania. Now, that is a money trail, right, Dick? I mean, they yeah. can see where it comes from and where it goes. Oh, it's to. absolutely a money trail. So then, and the fact that we elected a guy without not knowing that he was on the payroll of China right. is kind of incredible. It's unbelievable. Okay, now, um, if you have a pencil and paper, I want you to add up some numbers. And uh, if you don't swerve over in the middle of traffic and <laughs> write it down while everybody honks at you yeah. to move on. Text while you're driving, okay. that's great. The heading here is 2017 to 2018, Joe and Jill Biden income. Okay? Now, bear in 17 mind... 17 to 18, you yeah. just said? Mm-hmm. Now, bear in mind that when Biden uh, became vice president, he had left the Senate after 36 years, and his net worth was tiny. Uh, $27,012 was the net worth he declared on leaving the U.S. Senate in twenty in 2008 to become vice president. You know, and, you did this last week, all of this. Yeah. I'm doing it again. And and as I said last week, that indicates that he probably is was honest during that Right. Period. I don't know about that, but... Okay, so... Then he made a bunch of money in his three years, as his eight years as vice president. And now pick it up in 17 and 18, and let's list his sources of income. He had, in that two-year period, he had $570,000 from the Penn-Biden Center. He had $120,000 from his Social Security, he in jail over two years. He had uh, $4.2 million dollars in speaking fees during that period, and he had $260,000 of pensions from his years as in the Senate. And you add that up, and it comes to, I don't know, about six, five or six million dollars. But on his tax returns, Biden, Jill, and Joe declared an income of $15.7 million over that two-year period. So there's $10 million that he made that he declared as income and that is not sourced. There's no indication of where that money comes from. It, in fact, was paid into two subchapter S corporations, which are vehicles that are set up to avoid a lot of taxation. And uh, they, they are not required to indicate where their money came from. So there is literally $10 million sitting out there that Joe Biden got, and we don't know where it came from, and it is a rebuttable presumption that it came from the bribes from Ukraine and from China. And uh, this information is sitting out there. Now, there is a tape uh, that comes from Ukraine about the Ukrainian portion of that income uh, with Zolchevsky, the head of the Burisma Group, the uh, energy company that's corrupt in Ukraine, uh, says that he paid uh, Joe Biden $5 million bribe and another five to Hunter to get him off on charges that of money laundering and bribery that he was facing in Ukraine. And we know that Joe Biden went to Ukraine and said in that famous quote clip, which is, I'm going to be here for another few hours. Right, right, right. And uh, there's $1 billion of loan guarantees to Ukraine that are pending. And if this prosecutor is fired, 
In if the he's next, not fired, you're not getting the money. In the next half hour, you're getting the money. If not, I'm leaving, and you're not getting the money. And then on the tape, Biden says, and son of a bitch, the guy was fired. So he was all proud of that him. Was, that was what he did in return for the $5 million alleged bribe. Uh, that is the... That that was the quid pro quo mm. for the for the money from Ukraine. Now, in addition, there was money from China, and we don't know exactly how much went through to Biden, but we know that after a trip to China, with Hunter and Joe both being on Air Force Two, uh, the Chinese Bank of China designated Hunter Biden as their agent in distributing $1 billion of loans uh, to American and Chinese businesses. And that loan cap was then raised to $1.5 billion, and finally it ended up at $2 billion Wow. That, that Hunter Biden uh, administered. So uh, we know that uh, ABBA, the singing group from Sweden, and the Biden family have something very much in common. <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> By the way, Dick Morris does DJing on the weekends. And if it's not funny, if it's not sunny, uh, just go to China and it'll get sunnier. Okay, so um, when we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the impact of the special prosecutor's indictment of Donald Trump on the idea of attorney-client privilege, which is a fundamental element of our legal system. So stick around. This is The Dick Morris Show. This is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. This is the Dick Morris Show, uh, a.k.a. the Doug DePiro <laughs> Show. I like that. Uh, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. <laughs> I, I want to raise. So, uh, you remember the, pay me on the second floor. You remember when I was a kid, you were weren't conceived I yet. I don't remember that. The uh, the the Mickey Mouse show. Yeah. Sure. On Disney, and the song would be Mickey Mouse, and then a voice would come in and say Donald Duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Injecting his Mouse. name, the Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck. <laughs> that's my middle name, Ooh, Donald. That's, that's this is Donald Duck sitting next to me, <laughs> Donald DePiro. Oh my goodness gracious, Douglas um, Donald DePiro. Douglas Donald DePiro. The attorney-client privilege is absolutely a key core element of our entire judicial system because it permits uh, attorneys to represent people uh, and, and, and for them to tell the attorney the truth about what really happened. And uh, it's very important that the, uh, that the attorney know that. I remember my wife, Eileen, was uh, a prominent attorney. Brilliant brilliant attorney, and she handled a lot of uh, drug cases where an entire drug ring was busted by the feds, and there'd be 14 defendants. And the issue was which of them would plead first. Under the federal rules, you're only allowed to have one person who pleads guilty, and he has to materially cooperate in the conviction of the others. So she would have one client, and 13 other attorneys would represent the other guys, and she would go to the jail and would 
persuade her client, beg her client, to uh, turn state's evidence to help prosecute and plead guilty and do it immediately because if somebody else got in line ahead of her, her client would have to do 40 years in prison. That's, after the show, you're going to explain that to me. And, uh, and, and then Eileen became basically the assistant prosecutor because after she got her client to plead guilty, they had to make sure the guy was convicted because if not, he'd get out and kill her client, her client. <laughs> so she, uh, oh so, but it became clear that again, the attorney client privilege, the ability to speak honestly to your lawyer is absolutely fundamental. Without the lawyer going in. Telling anyone. Right. Without that, we have no real system of legal justice. Repeal the whole Sixth Amendment that provides for the right to counsel. If your counsel is going to tell the other side everything you're telling them to your detriment, how can you possibly have a lawyer? You can't trust them. Now, there is something in the law called the crime fraud exception, which says if you go to your lawyer and you say, I just killed somebody and I'm planning to kill his wife or I'm planning to kill his lawyer, I'm going to kill another person, and you learn as an attorney that your client is planning to commit another crime, you have to go to the government and tell them that. That's understandable. Called the crime fraud exception. Mm -hmm. Now, Jack Smith, the special prosecutor against Trump, is manipulating that crime fraud exception to say that the lawyer, Cochran, I think is his name, for Trump, has to tell the U.S. attorney all about anything Trump did to conceal the documents that he took from the White House. And uh, they're saying that that is covered under the crime fraud exception. So the attorney has had to say that Trump went to him and said, well, these are my documents. Uh, can we throw them out? What, do we, what happens if we throw them out? What happens if we erase them like Hillary did? And he answered, and Trump did not throw them out and did not erase them. But the fact that Trump discussed with him the possibility of committing another crime, and he advised against it, and Trump decided not to do it, still falls within the crime fraud. It really doesn't, because he didn't commit the next crime. Didn't do it. The attorney didn't tell him to do it. Right. And it's completely hypothetical. That's right. So the... So Smith is extending the crime fraud exception to be that. And if that is, if this is upheld by the courts, no conversation between a lawyer and a client is privileged. Hmm. And the real effect that this is going to have on everybody is in legal aid cases where the legal aid attorney, if he's told by his client what happened, he has to go right to the district attorney and tell him and no defendant Will in his right mind tell his attorney any of the facts or consult his attorney? So right. he might as well not have an attorney. Now, setting a bad precedent is a horrible precedent. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court has bent over backwards in the past to affirm the attorney, the attorney client privilege and to limit the crime fraud exception. Mm-hmm. Every case you have goes that way. Now, Smith is asking to go the other way and open up the floodgates to attorneys turning on their clients. And the entire case against Donald Trump is based on his attorney turning against them. And I cannot imagine that the Supreme Court or even the appellate court is going to affirm that. And without that, the case against Donald Trump basically goes away. 
And it's really important to understand that when we look at this indictment. Not that it matters, because it's not going to come up for a trial before Election Day 24. And I have the inside bet that Donald Trump becomes president. And I happen to guess that he's going to pardon himself and that the whole, and that the whole thing is going to go away. But while it's here, it's worth understanding the impact of this on the attorney-client privilege. Okay, now, uh. Interesting. Now we all have been following the cocaine that, uh, ended up at the White House. Uh, and I think. What's the matter with Joe Biden deciding to make Hunter feel at home in the White House? You know, he comes into the White House, he wants to offer him a drink, to offer him some water. Or a bump. Um, yeah, but, but to give him, but, but to deny him cocaine. Oh, horrible. Especially when he brings his own. Right. BYOC. <laughs> and bring your own cocaine. And How could you it, deny him leave that? Leave it in your cubbyhole, a personal cubbyhole ah. that nobody else has access to. Uh, what's the problem here? I have nothing. They're I don't just get it. trying to make poor Hunter feel a horrible parent. Yeah, it's absolutely terrible that that people are down to him for doing Freaking that. He idiots. was doing it. He did it for his son. Yeah, he had yeah. to stay up at night to help him with his math. Let's go to Sandra in New Jersey. Hey, Hi, Sandra. Sandra. Oh, good afternoon, Dick and Doug. <laughs> um, I wanted to compliment your phone screen, and he's outstanding. They but are. I called today. Oh, he's the one that I spoke to is very special. But I watched your show last night, as I always do, and I learned a lot about how conservatives are more informed than liberals. Right. And then I go, and then I go on to think, here we are, a very lucky federal judge, Darity, condemned the Biden censorship regime. Yep. And then that's the first brick built. You know, that's the first step. Yep. And then you say to yourself, censorship, that affects the liberals, too. Yep. How do we get them to wake up yep. and learn like this, like we do? Very, very good point. Mm. Uh, You've got to tell us about the environment or yeah. something. Well, it is. Uh, this decision about enjoining the government from censoring uh, social media is as important for the left as for the right. Absolutely. Because the two main things they censored, or the Hunter Biden laptop, which the le- which the right likes, and climate and the truth about the vaccine that the right li- that the left likes. Uh, the left wanted to tell everybody not to get vaccinated, that the vaccine was dangerous, that it was ineffective, and the government got the social media to censor that and stop reporting that. Yeah, right. And and that's a that was a very important and a very important act of censorship. No, but the, the the vaccine was only bad while Trump was in. Right when Biden came in, then vaccine was fine. Yeah, for the but left. They, no, but they. But but the point of view is from the point of view of the media, uh, they were encouraged to tell everybody that the vaccine is great, that it's wonderful, and and don't worry about it. And if anybody said that it wasn't, and said that it was dangerous, ooh, that was terrible, and that was banned. Oh from yeah, social right. Media. Yeah, I remember that. So so. This is something that the left and the right have a stake in. But let me go back to what Sandra was saying, because I really should have opened the show by talking about that. Um, John McLaughlin, my buddy, did a poll 
funded by the Media Research Institute, a guy named Brent Bozell. Mm. And the first thing they asked of a sample of a 1,000 likely voters in the country is what cable station do you watch for news? And uh, 35%, 30% said they watched either MSNBC or CNN, liberal shows. And 35% said they watched either Fox News or Newsmax, conservative shows. Then McLaughlin asked them a series of factual questions and said, do you know about this? And on every one of these questions, the conservatives knew about it and the liberals didn't. So do you know that there have been three million illegal border crossings since Biden became president? 77% of the conservatives, the folks that watch Fox News or Newsmax, knew about it. But only 38% of the liberals, the guys that watch uh, MSNBC and CNN, knew about it. 77 versus 38. Wow. Do you know the gas prices have gone up 52% under Biden? 72% of conservatives knew that, but only 48% of liberals. Do you know that the Durham report showed that there was no collusion between Trump and Russia? 66% of conservatives knew that, but only 50% of liberals. Do you know that there have been over 100 terrorists who have been nailed at the southern border? 58% of conservatives knew that, but only 34% of liberals. Do you know that the average household has lost $1,700 of income because of inflation under Biden? 61% of liberal of conservatives knew about it, only 38% of liberals. So when you argue with your liberal friends, they don't know the facts. Right. They just don't know what's going on. Pat Moynihan said... You're entitled to your own opinions, but not to your own facts. You're entitled to your ridiculous opinion. No, no, you're entitled to your own opinion. But you're not entitled to your own facts. And these folks literally have no idea what's going on at the border, going on with inflation, going on with the drug distribution in this country, going on with household income declining. They just don't know that stuff. So how are you going to have accurate opinions on stuff? And they do come up with stuff, you know, when I have a conversation and I know the facts, you know, just being with you, right? All of a sudden they'll come up with something that, oh, well, you know, this guy cut off a toe. Why would he talk? And they'll come up with something that you have yeah. no idea what they're talking about and you can't argue with them. Yep. Well, you, you manage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is the Dick Morris Show. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Hi, this is Dick Morris. Welcome to the Dick Morris Show, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. We all know about kids who run away from home. This is a sad, And there's, sad you know, the, the cartoon of the kid with a stick, and on the stick is a satchel oh, that yeah, contains yeah. his lunch. <laughs> uh, my niece used to tell her mother she was going to run away from home, and uh, she turned to him and said, what's the bus that goes to Eileen's house? <laughs> she, <laughs> she lived in Pennsylvania. <laughs> but every kid fantasizes that. 
Okay, California is currently passing a law. It's got full Democratic support, and or it's going to absolutely pass, that legalizes running away from home if you're at least 12 years old. Uh, It literally emancipates, it permits the emancipation of children as young as 12 years of age. All you have to do is have a a therapist or a psychiatrist or a counselor uh, say that it's okay and refer it to a group home or to a child care facility. And the parents don't need to know about it, don't need to know where their child went. Get this big. Don't need to know, don't need to participate in the decision. It is legalized kidnapping. Legalized kidnapping. And this is not being done for kids who are abused or kids who are sexually molested. This is being done for kids that want to change their gender. And their parents say no, and they're not allowed to change their gender or to take the hormones or to have the surgery. And they can legally, under this bill, run away from home. It's breathtaking. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, unbelievable that this is the case. This was voted on, done? No, it's not voted on and done, but it's going to pass. In you really California. believe that? Oh, yeah, the Democrat Party is sponsoring it. So it's absolutely certain. And none of them are parents, not the people that are voting on this freaking thing? Many of them are, I would guess. But uh, it is just absolutely unbelievable that it looks like this is going to be, this will certainly become law in California. It's hard to believe. And it raises the most fundamental issue, which is parental authority. Mm. Uh, we're, We're dealing with a generation that is being told that if they want to change their gender, their parents should have nothing to say about it. <laughs> it it's unfathomable. It's unbelievable. 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 Let's go to Steve in Brooklyn. Hey, Steve. Uh, yes, your first issue today mentioned. Uh, did you know that the president of University of Pennsylvania, who became the ambassador to Germany, after opening the Penn Biden Center and uh, keeping all the information uh, unavailable to the U.S., that during the years 2009 to 17, she was the chair of the U.S. Presidential Commission for the Study of Bioethics. Mm. Wow. And uh, secondarily, and, that, and by the way, I mention it because I think the issue of bioethics would come up relative to China. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> part two, she is also the daughter of a survivor from the Nazis. Uh-huh. Her name, I think, is uh, Grubman or something like that, isn't it? Gutman. Gutman, yeah. Right, yeah. right. And um, it is interesting to me, too, that she has become ambassador back to Germany. Yeah, right. Yep. Well, she's welcome to it. Uh, let's go to Andrew in Stanhope. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Dick. Like I've been saying, tell Trump on the campaign trail, go after the urban, the black vote. Now he has a track record to run on. It's not just talk. And he genuinely is cool. <laughs> like uh, Kamala Harris will go on those urban radio shows. Yeah. And she'll try to act she's cool well, and goof. Trump has, weed. Trump has a legitimate shot at winning black men, <laughs> less of so for black women. In our current polling, Trump is getting 20% of the black vote, which is by far a record. And he's getting 30% of black men, but only 10% of black women. And we've discussed this phenomenon before. 
uh, a friend of mine named Conrad Tillis, who ran for Congress and ran for state senator in Brooklyn last year, a black preacher. Smart guy. Says a brilliant guy, wonderful guy. And he says that basically the government has replaced uh, husbands for black women. It provides them with income. It provides them with power. It provides them with the ability to move up in their companies and much less black men. Because uh, affirmative action is both for women and for minorities, and and black women are a twofer. And that's why Biden promised to name a black woman to the Supreme Court, not a black man. A black woman as vice president, not a black man. And that message is being received by the African-American male community. And then it's been overlaid by the gay movement, which basically says Heather has two mommies. What do you need a daddy for? You don't have to focus on raising black incomes of men. Just replace them with a woman. And the and the entire effort to sidetrack black men uh, and focus all your attention on black women. And I think, Andrew, that that gives us a very good chance of getting that vote. Let's go to uh, Nick in Queens. Hi. Thank you, Dick. You know, your show last night was phenomenal. When I looked at that show, I said, this is exactly what we should be honing in on. That poll showed us exactly what we are up against. Now, my question is, why is it that only Trump gets these facts out? He does. I don't see the RNC getting them out, which is why he shouldn't shouldn't debate. He should have an event... While they're debating, yeah. he should have I think an event. I think that's what he's going to do. I'm urging him to do that. And I think that's just what he's going to do. And I think it's going to be hysterical when you compare Trump's ratings at his right. event with the debate minus Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, in New York, I'm watching the Yankees without Aaron Judge. And it's going to be <laughs> like watching the debate without Donald Trump there. But I think that probably is going to happen. Thank you. Uh, Kathy in Nassau County, nice question, but what do you mean? Yes, uh, my 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 question was twofold. First of all, I wanted to compliment you. You're a brilliant person. But I just was wondering if you could just put in just a little more of your personal life. I was just wondering, okay. is your wife, is she still living? Yeah, well, my wife, it's a very sad story. Uh, my wife, Eileen McGann is her last name. When we got married, she said she wouldn't change her name. Uh, she, she wanted anyone she, to know she knew she you. She changed her name back to her maiden name, McGann, because she didn't want anyone to know that she knew me. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't funny. change my name so we don't have the same last name. But uh, Eileen uh, has been a brilliant, brilliant attorney. And, and my close confederate in everything I've done, we wrote, we've written 21 books together. And 13 of them are bestsellers. And uh, when I say together, Steve Ducey at Fox & Friends once asked me, "When what's it like writing with your wife? And I said, well, Steve, a lot of people say that I do the writing and she does the research and the footnoting, but it's not how we do it. I write half, she writes half, and then we swap and each read the other ch- the other's chapters. And Steve said, well, does she ever say, honey, I love you, but this isn't much good? I said, well, Steve, she skips the first part. <laughs> but Eileen is, is, is Eileen is alive and, and struggling. Uh, she had a massive stroke two years and three months ago. 
that left her with limited ability to speak uh and uh and bedridden um so it's a it's a horrible horrible hole in my life and oh, yeah. i thank you for asking about it kathy all right move on let's go to our usual judith from Brooklyn. hi judith, hi, judith. Hi, good afternoon, guys. Um, I'm calling about Hunter's criminal tax fraud investigation that the statute of limitations expired somehow. So um, I'm I'm calling about something called a tickler system. I don't know if you heard of it. I want to explain it because it's really important. It, it jumped out at me when I heard about it. But I also want to say, if you, Dick Morris, because you're the most influential consultant, if you could tell President Trump to tell Congressman Gomer Comer to then take a, do a civil fraud audit. Uh, there's no statute of limitation where they can incorporate any investigation that's done so far on the criminal part. They can actually uh, send out summonses and bring in Bugamilski, bring in Joe Biden, bring in anyone, uh, request the memos, which I'm going to talk well, about in a minute. They'll bring, those, they'll bring those folks in as part of the bribery investigation. But get to the other point, Judith. Okay, so here's the point. Um, I was speaking to someone who was chief uh, litigator at the chief counsel's office. So he's in the IRS. He knows a lot. Used to be, not anymore. And what jumped out of me when the person told me whatever he told me, all kinds of stuff, is the tickler system. That's why I want to tell you, this United States attorney, Merrick Garland, and this uh, Delaware youth attorney, David Weiss, and his assistant, yeah, uh, Leslie Wolf, they're yes. a bunch of... Lying frauds, because I want to tell you something. The TICLA system is something where you've got, there's layers of protection in IRS. There are departments. You've got agents. You've got a supervisor over them. Then you've got a chief group supervisor over them. Then you've got chief Judith, counsel gonna officer cut, or attorney. I'm going to cut you off because I just got to move on to other stuff. Um, call me back when, tomorrow and next week and give me the summary, not not the whole big thing. Um Let's go to uh, Patrick in Indiana. Hi, Patrick. Do you think that uh, the Constitution should be enforced and that uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, should bring charges of impeachment for treason against Joe Biden? No, Uh, I, I don't, Patrick, because it'll create a totally phony contest, which will distract us from the real change, which is President Trump's candidacy. Uh, bring impeachment, it'll pass the House, he'll be impeached, he'll be the uh, for two, three, fourth president to be impeached, but the Senate's going to acquit him on the straight party line vote. So why waste the time, why distract the country? We have two perfectly good committees that have the subpoena power, Jordans and Comers, that are getting this information out, they're putting it out there in the public, and I don't want to create, I, I don't want to create a fight that Biden can win. I also like the idea that the only prosecution is going on by the deep state against Donald Trump and everybody sees that it's rigged and phony. And uh, I don't want them to be distracted by an impeachment. So, so I, I don't, you're correct legally, but I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. This is the Dick Morris show. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you, and I'm warm. 
Welcome to the Dick Mara Show presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Uh, Steve in Pearl River has a question I think most people are asking. Steve? Yeah, you know, you mentioned gas prices before. Yep. And it was something that came up in a survey. Yeah. Uh, did the survey mention that the American public is being gouged by the oil companies? Yeah. And it's easy. Never mind that I get my information from The Economist and Forbes. Okay. <laughs> Never yeah. mind some cable news thing. All right. So let's talk okay, well, let about me... record profits yeah, okay, for well... all the oil companies and the Saudis. Steve, thank you. I Let me comment on that, and thanks for raising it. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know if there are record profits. I guess there may be. But uh, I believe that the uh, the obvious reason why gas prices are rising is because gas production is way down uh, because of all the areas we're not allowed to drill in. We're not allowed to drill offshore. When we're de- increasingly not allowed to frack. Uh, we're not allowed to drill in the Alaska wilderness area. Uh, there are all, and there are all kinds of restrictions on when we can drill, and the result is a sharp decline in American energy production. That is causing a sharp increase in prices, and uh, I do not believe that the that if there is profiteering going on, which there doubtless is, uh, look, there are two areas where you have to take the accusation of profiteering with a grain of salt: drugs and oil. In drugs, yeah, the drug companies make about an eighteen percent profit, and then there's another eighteen percent that's spent on advertising for drugs. But the but within that within that thirty six percent I'm sorry it's eighteen percent profit and advertising eighteen percent research and if you cut down on the profits you'll be cutting down on the research mm-hmm. it's such a uh, shot in the dark to drill for oil you have to guess that there's oil there you have to invest in it you have sure. to put your money into it you have to put your equipment there and you have to pay for it whether it's there or not and the same thing with the drug. Uh, you have to put your money into the research, and you don't know if something is going to come out, right. and you don't know if you'll ever be able to make it back. So They need that cushion. So Yeah, so whenever you try to limit profits, either in oil or drugs, and believe me, I have no conflict of interest in either of those, you're really cutting back on research and development on the one hand and exploration on the other hand, and you do that at your peril. Now, um, Interesting. Uh, this, uh, Trump says that DeSantis is thinking of withdrawing. And, uh, he says that DeSantis wants a good faith way to get out of the race. So I have this advice along with Johnny Paycheck to Governor DeSantis. Take this job and shove it. <laughs> I ain't working again no more. The Trump-DeSantis race is nearing really an epiphany because the polling is such that Trump may be able to do the political equivalent of what in naval warfare used to be referred to as crossing the T. You'd have two fleets that would cruise alongside each other, sailing ships, and they would shoot at each other. And at side some by point, side, side by side, next to each other. Parallel. Uh-huh. And at one point, one of the ships, through superior seamanship and 
better angling of the wind, would move forward ahead of the other ship. And then it would make a sharp right turn or left turn and come out ahead of the other ship. So it's now a T. Perpendicular. The the, uh, perpendicular line uh, with the uh, horizontal line, with the vertical line, the horizontal and the vertical coming together. And when that happens, the T, the top of the T, has its full broadside of cannons that it can fire. But the oncoming fleet has no cannons in the bow, and it gets destroyed. The T is crossed. The political equivalent of crossing the T, I believe, is that at some point in a primary election like this, the front runner can say, look, I've been ahead for months. I've been further and further ahead for months and months. Uh, I'm now 30 to 40 points ahead in most people's polling. Come on, guys. Let's focus on Joe Biden. Let's stop ripping each other apart. Let's stop this primary nonsense and go ahead to the general election. Right. I've established that I'm the candidate who's going to win. I've established that I'm probably going to be the Republican nominee. Everybody believes it. So why are we continuing to encourage airtime to candidates who are trying to tear me down trying to stop me from beating Biden, trying to weaken me, trying to drain me of money. They're either in single digits or like DeSantis, they're headed to single digits Mm. because they've lost two-thirds of their votes since they declared. And it's time that we stop this bloodletting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that appeal to unity, I think, is the equivalent of crossing the T Mm -hmm. and basically putting DeSantis out of business. Well, DeSantis is hurting himself being in this race you know, he was fine before. Now he's people. Well, he was the heir apparent to the governorship. What's that again? He was the heir apparent to the governorship. Now I think he would get a primary for governor and he might be defeated, yeah. particularly since he'll have a real enemy in the president, Donald Trump. Bad move. Uh, I think that that Trump may be at the point now in the polling where he can cross that T. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people are questioning whether Trump should participate in the debate that's coming up at the uh, on August 23rd, and I believe fr- strongly that he should not, and I've been advising him not to. And the reasons I've been citing are that why should he walk into a forum where 13 people are shooting at him, or five or six, depending on who makes the threshold? Why should he have to declare loyalty to the eventual Republican nominee? He should say, if they have an America First agenda, I'll support him, but mm-hmm. otherwise... I won't. And the moderator has <clears throat> got to go against. And bear in mind that George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush refused to support Donald Trump when he was the nominee of the party. Mm. They both voted against Donald Trump. So why impose this requirement on Trump? And what Doug just said, he's going into Fox News, which is like the lion's den. <laughs> uh, he's they, Fox News is controlled by, by Murdoch, and Murdoch hates Trump. And we learned from the Brett Baer interview uh, how terribly the questioning would go. It would all be about the indictment, all about the documents, and then they'd ask all the other 12 candidates that so they could all have a chance to dump on Trump right. and be 12 against one. Why should Donald win. Trump go through right. this? He'll still win. Right. And people say, oh, wow, it's going to be fun to watch Trump dodge that and oppose that and knock him back, and he's best when he's attacked. But why go through that? And now I think he's increasingly got another reason for not doing it, which is that he has been so far ahead for so long that we should stop other candidates from running against him in the primary. 
we should all be focusing on the Democrats and on Joe Biden, not focusing on one another. Great. And I think that argument would be very, very compelling with Republican primary voters. And I think he now is able to do that. He couldn't do it earlier, but now I think he can. Mm. Let's go to George in Rockland. Hi, George. Uh, hi, Mr. Morris. So I just heard your uh, your reasoning why he sh- uh, President yeah. Trump shouldn't be uh, participating in the primary. So I want to put something to you, okay? Uh, now, you understand, okay, I like him and I like him to be again my president, okay? But I'm looking at it from the Democrat end here, and they can come and say, well, you know what, what? Is he hiding? Why is he afraid yeah, to participate? Come okay? on. Is there anybody in the world that would believe Donald Trump is afraid to go up against DeSantis or against Nikki Haley or against Vivek Ramaswamy? No. I mean, Donald Trump goes up against anybody. And uh, and he's there's nobody on earth who would believe he's afraid. Uh, and given the amount of exposure he's had and the amount uh, that he's uh, done, I don't think there's any chance that people would say he's hiding something, but I do thank you for calling. Uh, let's go to uh, to Anne on Staten Island. Hi, Anne. Hi, Mr. Morris. This is second time. I'm glad I got through. You do a great job. Thank you. I love President Trump, and I did hear that Darmeet, uh, Harmeet Dillon was trying to undermine President Trump in California and trying to steal the vote in California and give it to DeSantis, Let me- which would be... Let me explain that. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for raising it. Uh, The issue is that California used to hold its primaries in June. Now it's moving it up to March. And the Republican Party has set a rule that says that if you're going to name your delegates before March 15th and you join an early list of states, uh, you cannot have uh, a you can't have a winner take all system. Because it would be so decisive, it would so swing the election that it would basically eliminate the right of the primary, the right of voters throughout the country to select a candidate. Uh, and this nomination is going to be over on March 5th. March 5th is the day that Donald Trump will become the Republican candidate. Because he'll win Iowa and New Hampshire, the first two. Then he'll win Nevada, the third one. Then he'll win South Carolina, the fourth one. Then with that momentum, he'll probably win Michigan, the fifth one. And then he hits Super Tuesday that includes a whole lot of other states, including California. And about 12% of the delegates come from California. Uh, so the uh, Republican leaders who oppose Trump are saying, we can't let Trump have winner take all in California because he'll win it all and it'll all be over. So what they're saying is that we should do it by congressional district and say that if you get more than 50% of the vote in any congressional district, you're entitled to all three delegates from that district. If you win less, you're entitled to two, uh, two to one in your favor, uh, if you win it, but you don't have a majority. Uh, or if you have nothing, if you're not if you're below 20%, uh, you don't even get one delegate. And those are rules that will be unfavorable to Trump, because he would win most of these districts. He'd win them all. Uh, he would have a plurality of the votes in every district and in California. And all the other candidates will be in second and third and fourth and fifth place. But he might not get a majority, and therefore his he might not have the full delegates behind him. 
Uh, I don't personally think it makes much difference because I think Trump is going to win it anyway. But it is true that this is an effort to undermine Trump and to stop him from winning the nomination. Uh, and, uh, and I do think we should oppose it. Uh, but, uh, but I don't think it's going to succeed. Uh, and you were talking about McConnell people yesterday. McConnell people. Yeah. That's right. Let's go to uh, Alex in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, Dick, thanks so much for taking the call now. You know, I think if Trump doesn't do the debate, then he should do a rally at the same time yeah, that the, the no. debate's going on he'll to, do, do you know, rally. pull the attention away from that. Yeah, right. he'll do it. I think he will. Uh, I also think he may uh, have something very interesting on his show opposite that, but I can't discuss that until uh, yeah. it becomes clear. Uh-huh. But um, so, so I think that Trump is headed to the nomination. I think it's going to happen on March 5th. I think that it'll all be said and done by then. And I think we should be pressuring DeSantis not to prolong this thing. Um, Pamela in New Jersey. Hi, Dick. Having been in uh, the special ed business, being a teacher and understanding how important silence is at times, I had to uh, keep on the, you know, very calm. Uh, I agree. He should not participate in the debate while you're ahead. Uh, people don't understand how important silence is. Got, silence is very strong. We've got one minute, Pamela, but thank you for praising the sounds thank of you, silence. Pamela. I've always loved that song and believed in that concept. So we talked about uh, the missing $10 million. We talked about the Penn Biden Center, where Joe and Hunter and uh, the Secretary of State Blinken were on the payroll of China. We've talked about 12-year-olds being allowed to run away from home. And we've talked about the end game strategy for beating DeSantis. Well, thank you. This has it's been an fun. honor, Dick Morris. This be has been fun. You. Thank, thank you. you, guys. I got hairy legs. Come on, time's up. Because I'm an old guy. And you ain't black. I got hairy legs.